that will include things such as group celebrations, using the ball as a prop, and going to the ground to celebrate. And, of course, there is the caveat that any of those celebrations that mimics the use of a weapon or is prolonged so as to delay the game will still be flagged. But other than that, those three new areas will be allowed as celebrations without getting an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So what do you think about that, Ryan? How do you feel about that new rule change? Well, I'll say they got it right to start, um, at least the spirit of it. I think anytime you listen to the fans, you listen to the ratings, which is what this was really about. This is not about, uh, you know, a, a seat in the light for the NFL. Um, you know, we, we, me and you talked about it a bunch, as did everybody last year, about the ratings. Uh, the right, right. The last year. Um, and the no fun league stigma did start to, um, you know, did start to, I think, affect them. So they had, they had to let it back in a little bit. With that said, I do equivalent what they did to, like, if for any of those of us who had uh, really strict parents in high school, um, and, you know, you had your friends who had no curfew, and you had, you know, you still had the, uh, the 12 o'clock curfew on the weekends. <laughs> right. This is the equivalent to that. Speaking of experience, are you? <laughs> yeah, I, I had a pretty strict difference. Uh, but this is the equivalent of, uh, you know, of, of your mother coming to you saying, oh, all your friends don't have a curfew. Okay, well, you can you can stay up till one now. You know, getting a little extra right. hours. Because they didn't. They didn't right. fully undo it. Um, my biggest issue is the one that I love, um, or the one that I'm most frustrated about, is the outside prop. Um, I I love the T.O. celebration with a Sharpie. That was one of my favorite moments as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I don't yep. think there's any harm in that. Um, I obviously agree with the weapons, and I agree with the, the sexually explicit um, dances, which I'm sorry for anyone who, who doesn't think that Antonio Brown gyration last year was a little bit over the top it was. Um, and then the, the last one, there's just one nice little clarification on if this has been cleared up over the last week and I've missed it. And that's on me. Maybe it's because he's on the Patriots now. Um, not that he's the only one who does it, but I need to know if a bow and arrow comes to see as, as a weapon because I don't think that should be out right, right. or analog. You know, I liked it when Josh Norman did it. I like it when when uh, when, Gall- uh, when Brandon Cooks does it. So, um, you know, I think that that should be allowed. But at least, you know, the group celebrations are coming back, so we'll get some of the group dances again, and we'll get more creativity after the show now. So, uh, overall, good. Um, but I think that they, you know, it's, it's not a full turnaround like some people are, uh, you know, describing it as. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the uh, outside props thing could be a little more lenient. I mean, what I mean, what the heck? The Sharpie, it just sounds like – I mean, I actually remember that. And they actually, NFL put that in their uh, video that they tweeted out. Uh, over the weekend is something they can't do. Um, and I think that's that's right. I don't see what the harm is with that. Um, but, hey, you know what? Uh, baby steps. We're, we're getting there. I think that's uh, this is a step in the right direction. I never understood why a celebration would be penalized as long as it wasn't prolonged to delay the game. So, you know, I mean, why is that unsportsmanlike? I mean, give me a break. This is professional football. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty soon they're not going to be able to do anything. Um, so I, I do agree that this is a step in the right direction. I do like it. I, I'm a little bit I mean, going to the ground to celebrate would be is interesting. I guess Snow Angels was given as an example. I don't know how many other times people do that. Um, and I don't know how strictly it was enforced if Sony went to the ground. But that's interesting. Using the balls of prop, I think, is, is a big deal. I think that's great that they have that now. That's a big plus. Um, any, uh, as far as that's concerned, any of the additional, you know, categories of celebrations you think should be allowed other than outside props? Because I really, I really do agree with that one. But anything else there that you think should be added on as allowable as a, as a celebration? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd go right where you went with this haunting. Um, they're, they're adults, they're professionals, you know. You're not allowed to check in youth hockey, um, but you're allowed to when you're an adult. And you're not allowed to taunt when you're when you're younger. And now, 
I think there could be a defined line. You know, we don't need, um, you know, to turn the, F- the XFL where we kind of start leading to, uh, to big fights right. and it's over the top. But, um, you know, the one that comes to mind, and I, I believe he was fine for it, um, the Stevie Johnson celebration uh, years ago when he was still with the Bills, and uh, he scored against the Jets, and he, he mocked an airplane crashing uh, on the sideline as he ran down the field. Um, right. You know, I think... I don't have an issue with that. I thought that was a funny celebration. I mean, that's my hate for the Jets, but it was done by the Bills, so it's not like <laughs> it's not like it's not another thing that I hate. Um, but aside, the other the other one, because um, this is also in the video I saw you and Julian uh, tweeted out this weekend, and that's where I've seen it. Um, but I have no issue with the, I mentioned she's an idiot, and she's a loser. Um, but I have no issue with Taylor Beckham looking at him in the back of the end zone and then running up and down the sideline. Um, right. Now, that was pure emotion. I don't, it's not a, what is that, a safety issue? I mean, the play's over. So there's, there's no reason, again, you have that, you know, definition in Pop Warner that the helmet always has to be on because you're not going to hand over, hand over discretion to a bunch of eight-year-olds. But for so right. I mean, it's not like somebody, somebody was going to take his head off in that play. So I don't understand what that one is. Um, so I think there's still something to loosen. Um, we'll see if this helps. Maybe if the ratings don't go up enough, but there's a little uptick. Maybe they'll realize they need to loosen up a few more things again. As long as you're not out there, you know, uh, pretending to mow down people with a Tommy gun um, and you're not, you know, uh, you know, making fake sex positions in the end zone, I don't really have an issue right. with anything. Not that right. And, and as long as you're not delaying the game or causing a safety issue, I don't see what the harm is. So I, I'm with you on all that. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Let's, take, uh, let's turn on to the, uh, to the, next, uh, the next rule change. This one's actually more logistical, and it's very interesting. They're now going to allow teams – to bring two players back from injured reserve instead of just one. Uh, that's as simple as that. What do you think about that new rule change? Yeah, I don't fully understand it uh, in general. Um, I mean, I, in, the, in the sense that I don't think like there. You know, um, anyone who knows me personally knows I have a huge saying. Um, maybe it's part of my, my, my punk rock days when I was a younger kid, uh, my anti-authority, okay. uh, you know, pre, preset mindset. But, um, I hate the idea of rules to rules. I, I don't – I mean, why is there a limit on how many guys you can put on the iron and take off? You put – there's a 10-day DL, there's a 30-day DL, there's a 60-day DL in MLB. Um, you know, right, all the right. times, like, it's the point that when I'm watching other sports because I'm so football-centric, they're like, oh, he's on the DL. I'm like, oh, he's done for the year. And it's like, you know, a defenseman for the Bruins. I'm like, oh, you know, he can come back in two months. That's just – that's only the NFL. You can't take somebody off the, off the damn IR. Right. Um, I don't understand how it's a strategic advantage – um, put somebody on and take them off. I think that that you know that the designation should be there. Um, you know, and if if, it, if you have to take like a guy off the practice squad, you know, if that's the the rule that the guy on the IR can come back, but you can't sign an additional guy to the practice squad because they don't want you hoarding more bodies. Um, then that that's the only strategic advantage I could understand. And I think there's like I just right. said a way to litigate around that. So um, I think right. again a step in the right direction, but. When you increase it from one to two, um, I'm not going to, you know, give you a standing ovation. I'll give you a light golf clap. Right. And, you know, think about how restrictive it was last year. I mean, before last year. Before last year, you had to decide basically up front before the decision, before the season even really started, who was going to return from injured reserve. I mean, you don't you have no idea how these people are going to do uh, when, they, uh, when they come back from injured reserve. So you have to make making that decision in advance seems just archaic. And as you say, rules for the sake of having rules. But, again, this is another one of those baby step things. It's interesting, though, that you raise baseball because they changed their DL requirement from 15 days to 10 days so even shorter so people are much have much more flexibility of their rosters going in and out and it, it does seem a little bit odd maybe it's just because there's just so many more baseball players out there 
if you think of all the different levels of minor leagues, that it's not that big of a deal to have all the DL spots because you want to call people up from the farm system and you don't have that in the NFL, but you're right. It shouldn't be a restriction, certainly not two, but hey, one, two is better than one, and I agree this is a step in the right direction. So let's step to the next one, and this is actually really interesting uh, because I'm not really sure what they're trying to accomplish with this one, but they've approved the change uh, to just one roster cutdown day. So in other words, in the past, there was two deadlines for, uh, for roster cutdowns. You had to go from 90 to 75 prior to the last preseason game and down to 53 after the last preseason game. Now now they're going to have only one cutdown. That's from 90 to 53-man rosters, and it will be uh, within two days after the final preseason game. Uh, so what do you think about that? What do you think about that change? Yeah, I think from a logistical standpoint, it makes sense to me because, um, you know, it's my theory of you when you go into the draft. Um, when, you, when you have the, the first team take 15 minutes to make the pick when you've had a month to know who you're going to take. Um, you know, at, at that point, maybe there's still a tiny little battle going on, but after OTAs and, uh, you know, uh, mini camp and, and, and uh, geez, uh, preseason um, and training camp, like at that point, right, right, right. You, don't, you know who's staying on the team. You know who you're keeping. You know who you're going to try to stash on the practice squad. So um, it just seems like kind of a dumb old tradition. Now, for the people that it sucks for, um, you know, obviously the national guys, and then on a much lower level, uh, it sucks for me and you, because it gives us one last thing to sit there and analyze and talk about. Uh, and right. sit there and go, oh, <laughs> now, now who's they going to cut? So, there's a little less meat on the bone for us when everyone just gets lobbed off um, in one south week, but uh, no one really cares about uh, the people talking about the game, so um, I think yeah. it makes sense to just cut, just, you know who you're keeping, you know who you're not keeping, just cut them all at once. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me because what I don't get about this is the fact that when you get down to that fourth, fourth preseason game, none of your actual starters are starting, right? So it's basically just those guys who are fighting for positions in that fourth preseason game. So in essence, you're taking a bunch of guys off the field anyway, you know, at that point, off that 90-man. I mean, so cutting it, so making the cut at the end as opposed to making the cut now, I mean, maybe it doesn't make that much of a difference, but I do think that that means you have fuller rosters for that fourth preseason game. Since you know your starters are, running, are not going to see the field for that for that fourth preseason game, uh, maybe you get a chance to see how more people do, and and gives you a chance as a, a GM and a head coach to figure out who it is that you really want to stash away as a as an inner practice squad, and who it is that you want to let go. So I guess it's good, but you know I don't think I don't see this as really impacting a whole lot. So let's let's hit that last rule change, and there's a couple other ones, but the last one that we're going to talk about because the rest of them are kind of really not that interesting, but. This, this is the shortened regular season overtime. They've shortened the regular season overtime from 15 minutes to 10 minutes, and they say they're doing it in order to reduce wear and tear on players, uh, so a safety issue. So what do you think about this? What do you think about the reduction of overtime from 15 to 10 minutes? Well, uh, two different separate thoughts. One, stupid. Two, horse bleep. Um, I'll address <laughs> the stupid one. All right. You're coming right. up a year with more ties than ever, and now you're taking five minutes away from OT. Dumb. Dumb, 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 right. dumb. No one wants ties in football. Right. Um, you know, I was, I was so against it. I mean, you had this argument last year, and I said to you, oh, it's happened a couple times, but it's an anomaly. I don't want to change the way it's played. Like, you know, just play the full court and get it over with. Well, if my alternative was to shave it down to 10 minutes, give me the college overtime setting because this is dumb. And right. the horse bleed part is this is a same league that you know it coming up in the next CBA negotiations is again going to try to leverage and, and push for the 18 games and whatever, whether it's the Article 46 tip 
that they lay out so all will give you this back where Roger Goodell would be able to play judge, jury, and executioner, even though it's the case of Twitter. And, you know, but taking in that right. her, that, that'll probably be the tip that they throw back to the and say, okay, we'll have, we'll have an independent arbitrator, but in turn, you have to get a 16 game. And if any of us are PA and they say, well, why did we shorten the overtime for five minutes? And you're still continuing at the very same time, so you're going to add two whole games for the season. So, um, again, I just, I think it's a horse trap excuse, and I think it's a dumb move. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see four or five times this season. And uh, how much fun will that be? Right. Yeah, so it's interesting to me because I think that, I agree, you have a lot of ties. And actually, with 10 minutes, you actually give motivation to a team to slow down their offense in a way, right? I mean, because, you know, you have that risk of kicking a field goal and giving the other team a chance to score a touchdown and winning the game. So now if you you can really, you actually motivate to slow the game down, you would, you definitely want to move the ball across the 50. But after that, you really want to kind of slow down and kill as much clock as possible. I mean, I, I, you know, you could really kind of grind it out, kick a field goal and win the game, and that doesn't seem like that's in the spirit of the game at all. Uh, it doesn't seem like that really accomplishes much. And in fact, it kind of kiboshes the previous overtime rule change that allowed teams to kind of equal things out if you only get a field goal, giving the other team a chance to go down there and score. So I, I don't really get it. Man, quite frankly, what is five minutes in an overtime going to do? I mean, they really. I mean, I love Thursday night games to a certain extent, but maybe if they were cared about player safety, they would get rid of Thursday night games because those short weeks are killer on uh, football players. You know, if you have to play on Sunday and turn around and play on Thursday, that's rough. Uh, shaving five minutes off overtime situations, I can't see that really saving anybody anything. I just it's just so minute of a difference and so unlikely a scenario to be to change anything that I just think. Well, if that's what they want to do, player safety, then that's not really getting there. Um, and there was a stat that I saw, actually, that over the past five seasons, uh, only 26.5% of overtime games went longer than 10 minutes. So, quite frankly, it may not make a difference anyway. It may be that they, um, maybe that all these games are going to end under 10 minutes anyway, just like they always have. All right, with well, that said, let's turn to our next... Go ahead. <clears throat> Sorry, yeah, I mean, that's why it's disingenuous to fight player safety. If, 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 you know, would it, would, you know, I'd have to look up the stats, but I bet it's only a quarter of the time does the game go to OT, and then a quarter of a quarter of the time it actually goes over that right. 10 minutes. So how much does it really save on wear and tear? So it's just, it's just them, it's, it's like when they say the play rough contestants. They don't care. They're just always trying to give, give us a few and and uh, it's, it's transparent as always. Right, I totally agree with that. I mean, really, it's a fraction of a fraction of the games and only five minutes worth. I mean, come on, give me a break, right? I mean, so that totals for an individual player, maybe five minutes of their time on the field and over the course of a season, that's not helping anybody. All right, let's ring the bell on that topic. Let's talk about our next topic, which is actually our favorite topic for some odd reason. It's Colin Kaepernick. There's been some talk about him going to join the Seattle Seahawks as a backup to Russell Wilson. Wow, what a change that a couple years can make. Because you probably remember the Madden commercial in which it was Russell Wilson and Colin Kaepernick running around and competing with each other. Now they might be buddies on the field. What do you think about this? What do you think about Colin Kaepernick going to Seattle Seahawks? Good fit for him? Good fit for Seattle? Worth it a look or just uh, move on? Uh, I mean, well, first of all, let me say, you know it's the dredge of the, of the NFL uh, offseason when we're talking about Colin Kaepernick three out of four podcasts in a row. Um, I know, I know. That said, but, but please keep listening. Um, but with that said, um, <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know, it's, it's more of an existential thing to me. It's good for Colin Kaepernick um, because he, just, he needs a job and he goes a job somewhere. So anywhere he can get work, 
I support doing the, you know, I've made my my, my uh, feelings clear on the fact that she's going to get a job right now. Um, and it was actually uh, trash. But um, I don't know, man. It's just, you have one thing, you have one quarterback who's 20 as, as F, and now you bring in a guy, you know, who's got, who has a trouble pass. And that seems like a bad mix to me. Um, it's, it's, uh, forget who had it. He's still so great. Somebody had the article um, this weekend, this past weekend, about how the Malcolm Butler played like broke Richard Sherman and all the kind of things that have kind of happened in Seattle the last two years since that. Um, yep. You know, the, 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 the players are starting to turn on the coach, much like they did here in, in New England um, in the late 90s when Carroll was the coach. Um, you know, just seeing that. So I just, I think what that franchise needs right now is some stability. Um, and as much as, again, as much as I think Kaepernick deserves a job, I don't think that this is a fit, but it feels like, it feels like the most Pete Carroll move that, well, you know, the, the old the old adage of throwing uh, good money after bad money. It's like, well, things are, well, things are getting rocky. Right. Why not do something else into the system here and really see how we can mix things up? Because um, I just don't, you know, I just don't, I don't think it, I don't think it works. And I think, uh, you know, again, the the, the, the stuff we read about Russell Wilson. Um, I mean, it's the most important position on the field is, is the quarterback. And the stuff they were saying this weekend about you know, he only he only gives gifts to teammates. Um, that, that he has like uh, endorsements through and when you like go to I think it's a safe go field you have a box seat and make sure you sign like disclaimers before you come in um, to not talk about anything going on like there's something weird going on in Seattle so I just don't think you should introduce more drama um, so with that said this is the one place in the world that, that I don't think should sign Colin Kaepernick right now um, wow, I, think yeah. he, I think he's a great backup but I think this is possibly potentially the worst fit um, maybe not for him, but for the for the you know the long the long uh, the long term of that team then because it seems like they're going in a bad direction and you know the Richard Sherman thing on the sideline you see yelling at Pete Carroll about you know things you throw on the one yard line again it's just like you know that that right. play that play is stuck with them just like much like it will Atlanta um, you know <laughs> sometimes that can destroy the team so um, right. yeah so I, I'm a, I'm against the move uh, if I'm if I'm in the front office in Seattle. Yeah, and actually, so defensive end Michael Bennett of the Seattle Seahawks actually disagrees with you. No surprise there. He said on 710 ESPN Radio that he thought that uh, Seattle would be the quote-unquote perfect fit for Kaepernick. And he had this to say. He said, quote, I think a person is dedicating their life to creating change. Why wouldn't you want that type of leadership in your locker room? Why wouldn't you want a young person that's dealt with people wanting to kill him because of his choices in life? So I don't know why people like that uh, feel like that is a problem. So let me say this. Um, I agree with Bennett in that I'm glad, I, I'm glad someone's looking at him and not thinking about the outside stuff and then and thinking about signing him. But uh, on the flip side, he said nothing about his ability to fit into that team scheme. And uh, I think he has some potential, but he's not as good a pocket passer as Russell Wilson, as much as you may like or dislike Russell Wilson. I just don't think he's going to be a good quarterback there. I think he's a step up from Kevon Boykin, and obviously Boykin has a lot of off-the-field issues that are much worse than um, what Kaepernick brings with him. But I agree with you. I don't think it's a, it's a fit from that perspective, and I don't think they should bring him in. But, well, with that said, hey, who knows what's going to happen because uh, there's still uh, there's still nothing actually on the books with Seattle. So keep, I'm sure we'll talk about Colin Kaepernick again next week. All right, let's go ahead and ring the bell on that one. Talk about our last topic of the night, and that is Super Bowl One. That's right, the first ever – AFL, NFL, World Championship game um, played in January 15th of 1967 at Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum Stadium. 
between the Kansas City Chiefs of the AFL and the Green Bay Packers of the NFL. Now, this is actually interesting because, you know, a lot of uh, new, a lot of uh, people who got involved in the NFL and start getting interested in the NFL very recently probably don't realize that the NFL has been around for a much, much longer time period. The AFL really was kind of an up-and-comer in the 60s, and they thought that they were going to, and the NFL thought they were going to withstand the storm, but the AFL ended up being very popular, and they, they did sign a lot of NFL husbands, but then they get, the popularity rose so much that they ended up starting poaching each other's players, and that led to sort of a, uh, a an agreement between the two leagues that they would just they would not poach each other's players. They would have a joint draft, something that uh, Ryan we both talked about earlier this season in one of our podcasts. So go check that out, and that they would actually have a championship game where the individual champions would play each other. And this was the first ever. So both teams, the Packers and the Chiefs, had a lot of pressure on them to really pull through for their respective leagues. Uh, and it was interesting. It was a very interesting game. There's a tale of two halves, just like like a lot of Super Bowls. The first half of the Super Bowl was 14-10 to 10 at halftime, with the Packers only ahead by four, and actually the Chiefs outgaining the uh, Packers on, on – uh, on uh, yards and uh, on offensive production. And actually, they, uh, they had missed a field goal in the first half quarter, which actually could have made it even closer. The second half was totally different. There was a, there was a, a ridiculous interception that actually started a 21-point unanswered scoring spree by the Packers, leading to a final score of 35-10, where Green Bay basically crushed Kansas City, led by star quarterback, <laughs> no pun intended, Bart Starr, and, of course, the uh, ever-famous Vince Lombardi. So, tell me, what are your thoughts about Super Bowl One, Ryan? Any takeaways from that? Anything you want to raise? Any key plays that really kind of stick in your mind? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always more of a bigger picture guy. Um, so, for any of the millennials out there who, uh, who wondered when uh, the Chiefs taking and big game started, um, you can look to see the really um, And, uh, you know... Overall, you know, obviously, it's been part of the dynasty for the Panthers. Um, a lot of interesting things I found out with the Panthers. It's the, the, the merger and that, that whole, you know, historians, you know, perspective, um, that time in the NFL is really cool. It's actually the only Super Bowl to ever be dual broadcasted um, by two different networks. Because right, the NFL right. contract is with either CBS or NBC, and then the, uh, the, the NFL was, was, just, was the opposite. So, yes. The NFL had a contract, and the NFL had a contract with CBS and NBC, both like a broadcast of Super Bowl, which is, uh, you know, some, you know, especially, especially when uh, Jim Nance has had uh, the call with uh, Phil Simms in the past, I guess I would add a secondary option uh, to turn to. But, um, you know, it's, uh, okay. it was obviously, you know, it was one of those things, and I think you see it sometimes, some nerves in the beginning of the Super Bowl. Um, you know, the Chiefs, like you said, the Chiefs are going to be like 180 to 160, um, and, you know, they, they were playing a cautious game, and then uh, the Packers came out and got the got the big interception, and then the the rest of the game was was pretty much history at that point. So, um, you know, I, I love I love the old Packers. Um, at least the, the story and the history. Um, any you know any uh, any Super Bowl that features uh, an offensive team that their their most creative play is, is pulling a guard uh, on the big Green Bay sweep um, with Borg right. Pierce to actually right. watching real time. Um, but uh, you know I. Uh, like, you probably remember when we were younger that ESPN used to play those greatest game clips on the afternoon after school. Um, so I watched this video several times. Um, yeah, that's the thing I understood how I was going to go there. But, um, right. yeah, so that was, those were my big takeaways. And, the, um, you know, just definitely an interesting time 
uh, between the two leagues because the NFL really tried to bully the AFL and the AFL, um, you know, uh, you know Lamar Hunt, who the trophy's named after, the Virginia City owner, definitely would have loved to make, make a statement to beat the, the big older brother uh, in that game, but unfortunately, yep. uh, you know, they had, they had a nice half, and then then you saw who the real class of uh, of the league was still at that for me. Yeah, no. So what I thought was interesting is if you look at the stats, you know, compared then and now, you know, Bart Starr actually won the NFL uh, MVP award that year. He had actually only uh, passed for 2,257 yards and 14 touchdowns with three interceptions. Think about that: 2,257 yards and 14 touchdowns. That's not even a backup. That's like basically a backup quarterback in today's NFL. So when they say pass happy, yeah, I think we've gotten a little pass happy since uh, 50 years ago or 50, 50 years ago. Only plus. 250 yards in the game. Yeah, right. And and that was like and one of his biggest, biggest. Right, right, right. Yeah, so amazing. And also, just for you millennials out there, there was a lot of complaints back then about the exorbitant $12 price of tickets. So get that, $12. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, and then the other thing noted, note is the halftime show, there was no big, there wasn't anything big there, but it was Trumpeter Al Hurt, the marching bands of the University of Arizona and Grambling State, 300 pigeons, 10,000 balloons, and a flying demonstration by hydrogen peroxide propelled Bell Rocket Airmen, so two guys in jetpacks, propelled <laughs> by hydrogen peroxide. So how's that for fun, huh? Who needs Jim, who needs Justin Timberlake and and all those guys? You got, when you got one guy flying around jetpacks. All right, well we're out of time. So uh, Ryan, why don't you give us uh, your uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram so they can follow you? Instagram is football underscore garbage underscore time, uh, and my Twitter is at Ryan Whitfield ne. Yep, and you can follow me at FB Garbage Time. And until next week, enjoy your NFL week. <laughs>